All right, we're back with another episode, number two. This is your host, Jordan Sarmo. Today we have Dan O'Donnell. He's been exposing the secrets and the lies of the 2020 election, specifically in Wisconsin. We have leaked emails. We're going to get into it all. Make sure you leave a review as you're listening. This is the Speak Truth Without Fear podcast. All right, we are back with another episode of Speak Truth Without Fear. Man, I'm so excited. We got Dan O'Donnell on the show. Man, dude, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to make this happen. I know you're super busy and you're probably doing plenty of interviews. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been, it's been a busy few weeks. Yep. But and I'm so, glad to be here. No, so real quick, just for, for my audience, give me like 30 seconds, your background, what are you doing, what are you focusing on right now? And then, I mean, I know you're uncovering a lot of what's going on in Wisconsin. Um, you've, you've, been, you've been writing writing articles, really teaching people how to practically get involved in the, on, on the local level. Uh, but give, your, give us your background, and then we'll get into it. Well, I'm actually trained as a lawyer, if you can believe that. Many, many years ago, I graduated from the University of Wisconsin Law School. And instead of going into law, I decided I wanted to get into conservative politics, specifically talk radio. And now I host a talk show on WISN in Milwaukee and WIBA in Madison. And we've got a significant statewide reach through our iHeartRadio app and all of that. And I also uh, am a biweekly columnist at Wisconsin's conservative think tank known as the McIver Institute. So I write a lot of stuff for that as well. Yeah, I, I just read a couple of your articles uh, earlier this morning and read one yesterday. And you've been, you've been spending a lot of time in uncovering some of the the illegalities, so to say, with, when it comes to the uh, what happened in the 2020 election uh, in Wisconsin. Could you go into that? Because you've, I mean, I've been seeing, you've been uh, uncovering emails and how basically people have been working together, conspiring, showing certain numbers, the data for ballot harvesting. Um, yeah. I would love to hear what, you know, what you've been uncovering. Well, first of all, your audience needs to know, Jordan, that Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg, and I'm sure you've been talking about this quite a bit. Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg, ahead of the 2020 election, dumped between 300 and 400 million dollars, just an astronomical amount of money, not into support of, say, Joe Biden, not into attacking Donald Trump, but rather into communities themselves to, quote, administer the election. Now, Zuckerberg did this through a group he set up called the Center for Tech and Civic Life, CTCL. And CTCL was responsible for giving this money in million dollar, two million dollar, three million dollar increments to municipalities all across the country. In Wisconsin, and these were focused almost exclusively on the biggest Democrat strongholds in the entire country, focused in large measure on swing states. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, North Carolina, Florida, Arizona, Georgia, you know all of the states. And so CTCL was trying to get a massive get out the vote turnout. And this is my uh, understanding of what the organization was doing. Ostensibly, they were trying to get communities ready for the massive surge in mail-in voting. 
Yep. What they were really doing, at least in Wisconsin, was going into five different cities, which just happened to be the five biggest cities in Wisconsin and the five biggest concentrations of Democrat voters in the state. Milwaukee, Madison, Green Bay, Racine, and Kenosha. Mm. Those were known as the Wisconsin Five. They submitted a joint bid which, to my knowledge, is not lawful. The Racine Common Council, which is like the, the you know city council for Racine, which is one of the smaller of these five cities, said it, its mayor, a hyper-partisan by the name of Corey Mason, former member of our state assembly, just a partisan Democrat, just real partisan dude, says, okay, we're going to get some of this grant money. The Racine City Council passes an order that says, okay, Milwaukee, Green Bay, Kenosha, and Madison, you've got to partner with us to get this money. Now, wait a second. Why is Racine giving orders to Milwaukee? <laughs> Clearly, they knew what this grant was for, and they met in secret. The five mayors were meeting on Zoom without telling anybody. They were meeting in Zoom to, to get this grant. Wow. So eventually, the grant money comes in in the summer of 2020, right? Almost immediately, it becomes clear that CTCL, as a condition of accepting this money, means you need to, as a city, partner with their partner organizations and accept help running your election. Unreal. Now, this is in direct violation of Wisconsin law. Jordan, it is crystal clear in Wisconsin law. It even says only the municipal clerk may run an election. The municipal clerk has charge of the administration of elections. That's literally state law. You can't have anybody else, not the mayor, not the common council, certainly not the CTCL running things. But in the city of Green Bay, your audience probably best knows it as the home of the Packers. That's right. right. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're having some issues with Aaron Rodgers. I know. Right now. Are had, you guys going to keep him? Even... What's that? Are you guys going to keep him? <laughs> I think yes, but for one more year. I think he yeah. really wants out. I think he he's trying out. to force his way to the Denver Broncos. You guys got to start drafting receivers, man. Ah, uh, <laughs> your mouth to God's ears, Jordan. <laughs> I've been saying I've been saying this for trade up to get Justin Jefferson. I was literally uh, saying this. I'm like, this guy's going to be a stud. Yeah. I, I may have not understood any other. I knew Justin Jefferson was going. Anyway, anyway, so we may <laughs> have problems with Aaron Rodgers now. We had bigger problems with a man named Michael Spitzer Rubenstein in Green hmm. Bay. He is the Wisconsin director of something called the National Vote at Home Institute. CTCL said to Green Bay, you need to let Michael Spitzer Rubenstein in to help you better maximize your, your election. We want as many people voting from home as possible. Well, that sounds all well and good, but think about it. If you know that Green Bay is full of Democrats, and yep. Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, who's a veteran of Democrat mayoral campaigns, and I believe he was on a Senate campaign. He's a Democrat. He's a partisan Democrat. The idea here is to turn out as many Democrat votes as possible. Emails that we uncovered revealed that Spitzer Rubenstein was so involved in the planning of the election that he took it over from the clerk, a woman by the name of Chris Teske. Email and, and, what was this, and what was this man's position again? He is the director of the National Vote at Home Institute. Okay. He has nothing to do with government at all. Nothing. So he's like a third party organization. He's a third party. And the National Vote at Home Institute, think of it as like a liberal group that's yep. specifically hired by Zuckerberg's CTCL 
to, to infiltrate as many cities as possible to try to, they're basically running a massive get out the Democrat vote operation and partnering with cities, taking over cities' elections to do so, right? Yep. This isn't yep. the stuff of conspiracy theories. It's all on their website. The emails reveal this is what they're doing. So Chris Teske, the municipal clerk, who the law says has to run Green Bay's election, doesn't. She gets so frustrated. She gets so angry by this. She quits just a couple of weeks before the election. While this is going on, Spitzer Rubenstein and the city of Green Bay are con they they do what's known as a central count. So instead of counting the votes in all these different locations across Green Bay, the votes are literally transported to a central facility, the KI Center. It's a convention center in Green Bay. Yep. With the contract, when the contract is signed between the city of Green Bay and the KI Center, they need a place to store the ballots, right, before election day. So there's a massive secure room that they use. Yep. Guess who's listed as the point of contact who has the key to get into the secure room with the ballots? The man himself. Mike, Michael Spitzer Rubenstein. Th this is co so completely unlawful that I, I can't even imagine. So what I've been saying is, like, I'm known in Wisconsin as, as a partisan conservative. I'm a conservative yep. talk show host. Imagine if I had the key to the most conservative city in the state and I had unfettered access to its ballots. Jeez. So the, the, the clerk quits. Spitzer Rubenstein is there on election day presenting himself as running things in Green Bay. He has basically taken over the election. Now, at the same time, in Milwaukee, as I'm sure you know, biggest city in Wisconsin, by far the biggest concentration of Democrat voters. It votes Democrat 85, 90%. This is a huge Democrat stronghold, right? Anytime a Democrat wins a statewide election, it's because they get massive turnout in Milwaukee. Joe Biden did. Yep. Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, emails reveal, was putting pressure on the head of the Milwaukee Election Commission, a woman named Claire Woodall Vaughn, to give him a daily email oh my of gosh. where all of the outstanding absentee ballots are. For example, Spitzer Rubenstein, third party group organizer, left wing group, has unfettered access. He has exclusive access to where the ballots were mailed out, which ballots were not returned. So what he's doing is very clearly, the only reason you need this data is so that you can go to these houses and say, hey, would you like some help filling out your ballot? Maybe we can send the ballot in for you. What can we do to help? He was so brazen in Milwaukee. He actually asked for a password to get into the city of Milwaukee's ballot database itself. Wow. Claire Woodall Vaughn said, uh, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, we can't do that, but I'll tell you what, it doesn't take much. I can continue to give you this email at the end of every day. And, and who so is the, and this person, and the person that said, I can't do that. What is this person's role? She's the head of the Milwaukee election she, committee. So she's the head so of, she's the one who's ch in charge of running elections. She and is, is she, literally the, and is she known for being, I mean, is she known, does has she have history of corruption in past elections? She, well, she, this was her first presidential election. Okay. The longtime election commissioner, Neil Albrecht, just retired, and she was the heir apparent. So this was her first big uh, go-around. Now, what we also know from emails is that Claire Woodall Vaughn was recommending 
Michael Spitzer Rubenstein and the National Vote at Home Institute to the other members of the five communities and get the Wisconsin Election Commission, the group in the state responsible for elections in the state, was actually referring Spitzer Rubenstein to the other five. So he's saying, hey, Milwaukee's had a great experience with this guy. You guys should lean on him too. Now, no. in a testimony, the head of the Wisconsin Election Commission uh, the, the the executive director, I should say. It's a politically appointed group with six board members, three Republicans, three Democrats. But the people who really run the group are the staff. So the administrator, a woman named Megan Wolf, testified, I have no idea who Michael Spitzer Rubenstein is. This was a couple of months ago. We have an email in oh the summer goodness. of her saying, hey, here's Michael Spitzer Rubenstein. You guys should really use him. Why is she lying about this? And why is an outside group getting access to not only ballot data, but it's the only group getting access to ballot data so specific. They, they know ward by ward by ward how many ballots are still outstanding. We, and, and we don't I, know the extent of the data that they actually got. Did they get specific addresses where they could just kind of fan out, go, take the ballots and fill them in? We don't know but this is the extent to which elections were screwed up. And this is just two of the five cities. We're still waiting on Madison, Kenosha, and Racine to get back to our open records request. And this, is, this was funded by Facebook. By Facebook. I mean, th this is why so many conservatives, they are questioning the election of 2020. Because we, we saw the same exact thing happen in, in Georgia, where I mean, they had RVs going through mostly um, yeah. minority cities in oh, towns. Oh, Racine had an RV. We, oh, we, they did? We've called it the Scooby-Doo voting machine. <laughs> that they're just sort of rolling around with five teenagers and a dog. Yeah. I, I mean, and you have, it, what, it, what it felt like, or what it seems like, you had people changing the law of this election months prior without even yeah. letting the legislator know. Because don't, don't these laws have to be passed through the legislator or they can just make these laws happen and it just... Well, here's what they're saying. They're saying that because the cities, have, they're empowered by state law to run the elections as they see fit, mm. we can sort of do what we want. Here's the problem with that, though, Jordan. The elections clause of the U.S. Constitution says state legislatures run federal elections, yes. right? Not Correct. municipalities. When there's a federal candidate on the ballot, it's a federal election. The state legislature has final say. Now, our legislature, to its credit, uh, we've got split government in Wisconsin. We've got a very Republican legislature and a very Democrat governor who's up for re-election in 22, yep. uh, Tony Evers. The Republican legislature has put out bill after bill after bill to try to clamp down on these cities from essentially going rogue and basically running an election not... Well, and you guys are known for having the most strictest you know, policies and or laws when it comes to election integrity. And so that's why it was so shocking. And I mean, what you're saying, not to, and I'm sorry to cut you off. What, everything no. that you're saying is just making sense. Cause I mean, I remember where in the middle of the night you had these spikes and we, we've all seen the, the charts where you have these spikes of ballots that's coming in and it makes, and, and like the spike would stop right when it gets above that line where it's yeah. like, if they have the data, if they had a way to know this data of how many ballots were coming in, how many, whether they were up or down, then they know exactly how many mail-in ballots or however money, many it is that they need to make sure that they cross, cross the threshold. That's it. Exactly. 
And that's why I think, you know, I, I've been following the audit in Arizona. And I know there have been calls. The Wisconsin Assembly actually okayed an audit here yep. in our state. I actually believe that while it is possible you're going to see just phantom ballots being turned in, and, you know, an audit would obviously catch that, I think the real scandal here was that these are real people who were voting, right? Mm. Whether or not they knew they were actually voting. But each ballot corresponds to a real person. The question I have is whether that person was actually voting, whether or not they were there was pressure put on them to vote. In fact, I've done significant research and significant reporting into the issue of uh, nursing home vote fraud in yeah. Wisconsin, where you actually had uh, nursing home staff members filling out ballots. To my knowledge, this is what happened. They either filled out ballots or someone who is clearly not mentally able to vote. They're saying, oh, do you want to vote for Joe Biden? They wouldn't respond. They'd say, okay, we're voting for Joe Biden. Yep. That's most likely how it happens. So in terms of, yeah, the spikes that were being dumped in, the, the, the infamous dumps on election night, I'm not sure that those were just phantom ballots. I think those were ballots that do correspond to real people, but that in the lengthy early voting process here in Wisconsin, you had the Spitzer Rubenstein National Vote at Home Institute and various other CTCL Facebook groups that were going out and they were just applying for ballots in the name of everybody they could find. They were getting as many ballots out into the wild as possible. Whoever it was that was filling them out, they're just getting them back to the ballot drop. That's another one. That's another big issue here in Wisconsin, these ballot drop boxes. Yep, yep. So how can you possibly have effective oversight of the election? How can you have the statutorily required election observers when you've got a 24-hour ballot drop box that's just sort of in the middle of nowhere that yep. you can just, whoever the hell wants to, can drop off 200, 300 ballots at a time. I mean, all of the evidence is pointing unmistakably to a ballot harvesting operation that the city of Milwaukee was essentially behind. 100%. And I mean, Arizona, speaking about passwords, I mean, I've been following Arizona a lot. I mean, the first thing that just baffled me was right when the, you know, that the, the audit was like, all right, we're having this thing. First thing that the DNC does, they send a hundred lawyers to stop it. And the first thing that came to my mind when I'm thinking, if I'm in a store and I'm, and I'm shopping and the manager comes up to me and is like, Hey, someone told me that you stole something and you put it in your pocket. If I'm guilty, I'm going to run. I'm going to get defensive. I'm going to try to figure out a way to get out of it or to stop what, you know, stop him from checking my pockets. But if I'm innocent, I'm like, yo, check my pockets. I want to prove you wrong. And yeah. the first thing that they did was they sent 100, law they sent 100 lawyers. And now we're finding that 17%, over 17% of the, of the ballots in each box, they say that there's 500 ballots in one box. 17% of them are missing. The Dominion now has a master password. There's just all of these things that are just coming out of Arizona that's just continuing. It continues to just point back at 2020. And I, that's why I was... I'm so, I was so excited to have you on because it's like, what would happen if we could look under the hood of what happened in Wisconsin? Because if Arizona falls, I'm hoping Wisconsin would follow suit because the people have to, we have to fix 2020 before we can even look at 2022 and 2024, because I'm scared shitless, to be honest with you. If they, if they, if they successfully stole this election, which I believe they did, um, and I believe it's like 70% of Republican voters believe that as well. 
I don't know how we just move on to 2022. Are you nervous about 2022? Um, I mean, what, what are people saying on the ground in Wisconsin? Huh, I am and I'm not. Uh, in fact, in our last governor's election in 2018, you might recall we had a very, very good governor, uh, Scott Walker. He's now president of the Young Americans yep. Foundation. Ran for president very, very briefly in, in 2020. Uh, he was defeated by our current governor, Tony Evers. And if you can believe it, I can remember working election night, election night 2018, Walker was up by about 20-some thousand votes. Yep. We thought, okay, everything's in. It looks like Walker's won re-election. By about 1 a.m., we get a report, oh, wait, the city of Milwaukee has not yet entered any of its mail-in votes, <laughs> any of its absentee votes. Now, wait a second. <laughs> Walker went from, uh, actually, I don't think he was up by 20,000. He was up by a comfortable amount, yep. right? A, an amount that was going to stand. Wait a second. Milwaukee still has 34,000 votes left to count. Wow. 90% of those, of course, go to Tony Evers, the Democrat. And here's what, what always stuck in my craw. I could never prove any malfeasance. But in Wisconsin, we have a law that was, ironically enough, signed by Governor Walker, that if the margin of victory is less than 1%, the state election commission will pay for a recount. There's right. essentially basically an automatic recount if you want one. The margin of victory for Tony Evers in those absentee ballots that just happened to come in in the dead of night in Milwaukee in 2018 gave him a lead of just over 1%. What are the odds of that? Unreal. Just outside of the recount margin, oh, there's yeah. nothing Walker can do because he doesn't have the money to fund a statewide recount, which would cost a few million dollars. Whoa, what do you know? Yep. So, yes, I guess I am concerned in that regard. If well, uh, when you hear like things, thing. when you hear when you hear things like that, that just pl I mean, again, oh no, I, did I lose you. You still there? Oh there yeah, I'm, oh, yeah, there I'm still here. Oh, perfect. Um, when you, I mean, there's no conspiracies, but there's no coincidences. And when you, when you have, when you see a trend and it's just so many breadcrumbs of so many situations like that, I mean, and that's why, I mean, I think a lot of us, we're still focusing on 2020 and I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to, I, I think so all the stuff that's going on in our nation, you see what's going on. I mean, it's scary. You have the military being politicized. You have, as of, you know, yesterday we had a commander in the space force get fired because he was speaking out against Marxism. You have, I mean, everything that's going on with Israel and pal and I just, you see the news cycle and there's so much, so much news coming out of Wisconsin. There's so much news coming out of Arizona. There's now news coming out of New Hampshire. The media refuses to cover it. And the reason why is I, I believe that they just continue to focus on all of these different distractions so that there's not spotlights on these specific yeah. areas. Well, yeah, the, the Liz Cheney ongoing story, which is yeah. now what a three week news cycle. Unreal. That's a perfect example. I mean, my so God, true. you've got Israel and Hamas essentially at war, the Middle East in flames. Inflation is jumping at levels unseen in at least a decade, possibly, <clears throat> excuse me, since the 1990s. You've got the worst unemployment number, uh, jobs numbers miss yep. since 1998. A fuel shortage. <laughs> fuel you're right. I didn't even get, I didn't even think of the fuel shortage. That's right. You're down in Orlando. You're right in the heart of it. We uh, no, haven't yeah, really dude. been affected. My, my gas station five minutes down the road, I mean, we have gas now, but the first two nights, 
no gas. Like we were out of gas. It went, the prices went up about 25% in a matter of like 12 hours. I mean, we're, we're seeing the direct impacts in just four months. All it took yeah. was four months. Yeah. Like it took four months to undo all the progress that we've made. And I mean, the, the country is getting more divided. It, it, is, it is a scary time. The thing I, that I, I like to point at, it's, which is very interesting, and I try to figure out what he's saying. I mean, I'm a Trumplican, man. If it wasn't for Trump, honestly, I would never have gotten to politics. I've, you know, I, I, after after um, the, you, know, you had Bush, you had Clinton, you just had all of these elite career politicians I was so I was like I will never vote I'll never vote again after Obama I'm like okay these guys they're all liars they don't mean what they say we had Romney and McCain run it's just I I was not I was never going never going to vote again and I remember I remember telling myself I was like if if for some reason a non-politician that's a businessman would ever run and if it wasn't for Trump like that but I didn't care about his character all I cared about was a businessman getting crap done and and he's been so optimistic recently like in a lot of his statements he's just like it's going to be fine we're going to get this thing going yeah um i mean do you think he's just trying to keep us engaged up to 2022 2024 oh yeah yeah that's well i also think he's he's if i had to ballpark it i have no inside information <clears throat> i think if his health is still there remember he'll be 78 years old which the liberal media now tells us is young for a president. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he'll be 78 years old uh, when the election cycle starts. So if his health holds up, I do believe he 75, 25, he runs again. I, yeah. I really do believe that. Yeah. Um, now, when it comes to whether he'll win the Republican nomination, I think he'll sail through the Republican nominating process. The, the only question I've got with Trump in another run is when there's a first-term president, and we assume, of course, Biden, who will be 82, right. is going to run again, the, the, the election is always a referendum on the president, right? You've already outlined, we've already outlined in four months, the abysmal failures on pretty much every possible front of the Biden administration. I mean, the country is seeing firsthand how liberal policies just fail yep. everywhere, Right. My only fear would be that the election would become a referendum on Trump's personality. Right. And it would get, I, I've, I've coined the phrase, Jordan, the fraud margin, right? The yep. fraud margin is the level of votes that Democrats, through whatever means, can reasonably invent, right? right? And in Wisconsin, I think out of a couple million votes, it's probably about 10, 15, 20,000 votes that, you know, are questionable, that right. might not have been the actual person voting. Uh, the fraud margin is something that if a Republican falls into, if it's close, the Republican's going to lose because of all the fraud. I fear that Trump would fall into that exact same fraud margin in Wisconsin, in Arizona, in Georgia, in Michigan, because you'd have voters who would otherwise, I mean, there are a lot of voters like you, who, you know, were, were sick of the Romneys and the McCains. And right. isn't it weird that the two uh, uh, Republicans who seem to have hated the GOP the most are the last two Republican nominees before Literally. Trump? Literally. I mean, it, that should tell you something. Seriously. It's uh, a great point. You know, the, the country club style, as you put it, career politicians who don't much care for us, you know, working stiffs in Orlando and Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right? Yep. And, but there are a lot of people who I think were, were real put off by Trump's personality. Now, here's the, here's the other thing. You're thinking strategically. 
It took a massive pandemic to tank the world's economy yep. for Democrats to even get a close election. I firmly believe COVID-19 never happens. Trump wins in a landslide. I mean, yeah. he absolutely, because his argument was, look, you may not like me. You may not like my personality. You can't argue with my results. The country is in a better place than when I took office, right? The I mean, don't, but don't, is, go ahead, sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. So I mean, like, there's a twofold way of thinking about that. He comes back in 2024 and says, look at how great we were. Right. I worry, though, that the same argument comes again. Well, yeah, you got us into a pandemic, which, of course, we both know is not true. But that's going to be the media's narrative. And then Trump is going to be Trump. Turn off enough conservative leaning voters, voters who are sick of four years of liberal rule. I just I've got serious questions about his ability to pull the Grover Cleveland and come back and win. I mean, if, if Trump doesn't run, I mean, the second, I mean, based off the straw poll, from, straw poll from CPAC, you had Ron DeSantis, the clear second runner, which, I mean, he is, he is running Florida just like he's Trump running the United States. I mean, he's hitting, hitting hard on critical race theory, oh, yeah. getting it out of the school systems. He is, I mean, he just passed a new riot bill where you, I mean, Business owners, you walk in the business, they have a right to shoot, to kill. Like, I mean, they can't take the streets. He's, he's actually, I would actually say DeSantis has done more Trump-like policies than Trump himself yes. because he doesn't have the swamp to deal with in a sense. Um, I mean, do you think DeSantis would be the second oh, yeah. runner-up? Oh, yeah. Clear, oh, yeah. Clear runner. Trump doesn't run. I would, I would hand the nomination to Ron DeSantis right now. Uh, because he he's Trump without Trump's antics. That is makes the sense. best way I could put it. That, that and you, you know, as much as I love Trump on politics, and I do, the the personality stuff he turned off a ton of people. And yeah. I know you can think, well, it's stupid to vote for someone who you you like personally or want to have a beer with, right? Right. A lot of people do. In fact, I had a party uh, right after the election. And we had some neighbors over, and one of my neighbors, real nice lady, wonderful family, very good friends with them. Husband's a staunch Trump Republican. And she said, much to the husband's chagrin, she voted for Biden, right? And I, di- I, didn't, I wasn't going to say, oh, you're, that's stupid. <laughs> I said, you know, well, why? Because, you know, you're a small business owner. You're trying to get a, a store off the ground. Like, I'm just curious why. And she said, oh, you know... Like some of the stuff that Trump said, I just didn't think he was a good role model for my kids. And I'm like, just imagine millions of people yeah. saying the exact same thing. That's, right? that's, a, it's that's stupid. a good point. For those of us who really follow politics, we can't get in that mind space. <clears throat> but there are people who don't follow politics and they'll only read like a headline. Trump said this about this person, you know. And So would you say that your concern is that... Trump wouldn't get, I mean, cause every, every time Trump, you know, endorses a certain candidate, they're, they're winning, there's winning, they're winning these local races. He, I mean, he did get, I believe he got more votes than he got in 2016 and 2020. He did. Uh, in fact, and, he's the first president to lose reelection, increasing his vote total from election one to election two, which that's another <laughs> like red flag that this election was stolen. Um, but I mean, I mean, so do you think that if he did run that he would, that you would just there would be more people on the side still of his character. He says bad things, and that would cause it. Or yeah. uh, that, and that's the million dollar question. And that's the million dollar question, right? You know, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's impossible. You know, and the other thing, Jordan, it's impossible this far out 
to gauge what the... Like, right now, the biggest issue in America is clearly us coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. That's not going to be an issue. There's most likely not going to be COVID-2024, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, well, you, hopefully, you what's that? <laughs> I, hopefully not, man. Yeah, you, hopefully not. We, right. I, I'm like, and I don't know, just this, this whole thing, what scares, and this is off topic, what scares the crap out of me, the CDC comes out, they say, okay, everything is good. And every corporation falls in line. All the politicians oh, yeah. fall in line. It scares me to death how much power this organization has over the American people and their freedoms when they've been wrong so many times about everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, and the other thing, the other thing, Jordan, what's, what's the damnedest thing to me is the CDC issues guidelines. It doesn't issue dictates. This isn't like Moses coming down from the Seriously. mount with the Ten Commandments. It says, hey, this is what we think best practices are. Yep. It's a recent thing that, and I, I can go back to the swine flu pandemic of 2009. A great point. Uh, it was the, the spring of 2009 where each local health administrator was doing what it thought, like, it's a new thing that the federal government is responsible for your health. And we could talk for, for another whole hour yep. about how Democrats and the media conspired to essentially weaponize coronavirus against yep. Trump and, you know, where that got us in terms of our public health response, whether it was, you know, turning well-worn, well-used therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, yep. things that are, are are safe and used constantly in the treatment of other disease. Oh, no, 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 no. Yep. No, you can't use that because the orange man said they were good. Like, excuse me, but, this is but this then again, a sort he, of new thing. But and then again, the he idea, has Operation War Speed and he's the... Right. Well, he's and, the but also, what about this? Think about this. Never before in our country's history have we essentially shut down because of a virus? Yeah, it's right? so true. The Spanish influenza was killing hundreds of thousands of people. Polio was crippling and killing children. We didn't yeah. shut down the economy. We knew very, very quickly that the Imperial College study that said, oh, two million Americans are going to die was nonsense, right? Yet we were still operating out of this idea that we need to shut down the economy. And nothing will convince me otherwise than Democrats realized, hey, this look, this is real, real good when we're running against a guy whose sole argument is look at how good the economy is. It's so true, right? man. And, so, yet, and the virus, 99.998%, like it's not like thing. we had this, we, we had this rate of people dying at a 20, 30%, you know, yeah. even 5%. And I mean, it was known, I mean, Jordan, it was known almost instantly. I mean, I've got a soundbite from Fauci himself in January saying, look, what we know about airborne viruses and what we know about coronaviruses generally is that many more people will contract them than yeah. whoever test positive because the rate, once it gets airborne, people just catch a disease. It's just like yeah. the cold, right? It's just like the flu. He said, this may sound bad, but it's actually really good because we know whatever the reported death rate is, is actually much lower. That was wow. January 26th. He was on a Journal of the American Medical Association podcast, I believe. And it was some podcast. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to my audience throughout. I'm saying, look, you know, the nation's top infectious disease expert was saying this. All of a sudden, that narrative stopped. 
All of a sudden, this became, oh, the deadliest disease known to mankind. And I'm like, well, wait a second. The experts clearly don't see that. So politics took control of this almost immediately. And I believe the way that we responded to coronavirus was absolutely designed to influence the election. Well, and we saw that when, when, when all the numbers started happening with COVID, the warnings, Trump you know, shut down China. And at yeah. all the politicians, there were, you know, Nancy Pelosi, oh, well, I'm going to walk in Chinatown right now because it's amazing. Yeah. There's nothing to be scared of. You had, you know, Fauci saying that masks don't work and it just makes people yeah. feel good. In, in an interview, I believe it was back in January as well. You, I mean, Biden no, saying, Biden saying it would. 60 minutes yes, he said this. Yes, on 60 minutes on I, national I mean, television. Yeah. It, <laughs> I, it's, and again, like, and what's sad the sad thing about this is that people trust the mainstream media, and that's really what happens when when you have a f- full-on propaganda machines that control the messaging. And you have, I mean, I just saw a study um, about two weeks ago. Um, what, what, where was this from? Where in eight percent after the no, it was a uh, after the November three twenty twenty election. Because of the way that it was reported on the mainstream media and what we saw with Fox News, how they called Arizona so damn early, um, 8% of Republican voters trust the mainstream media. Democratic voters, 78% trust the mainstream media. So you have this, these two echo chambers. You have this echo chamber where CNN, yeah. and, uh, C- CNN can just put a headline up about we need double mask, whatever they want to say, even though you have the politicians that contradicted it a month ago and everyone is freaking out. And it's that, I mean, that is really the biggest issue. The mainstream media, big tech, they all colluded with this election. And to your point, what you were saying about how they use COVID as a, as a way to you know, politicize and use it, basically really still the 2020 election. We, we remember, I mean, I don't know if you saw Project Veritas a couple of weeks ago. He did a huge leak on, on CNN where oh, yeah. it, one of the senior editors or producers were talking about how you know, they would use, they wanted to keep the COVID tracker because it would spark fear, it would give clicks and ratings, and that they would actually yeah. hope that the rating, that the desk would keep going up. These are the people that are literally, you know, you know, poisoning people's minds to believe the BS that's coming, coming, you know, coming out from the media. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and not only that, uh, the Project Veritas investigation found that once COVID was ending, CNN said, okay, the producer said, well, we got a memo from Jeff Zucker. Now we're going to focus on climate change. Climate change. The thing that, we, that we freak everybody out about. What does Twitter do? What does Twitter do when this bombshell report comes out? Boots James O'Keefe off Twitter. Yep, exactly. I mean, like you think, to me, Jordan, uh, the the questions about the integrity of the 2020 election aside, the biggest thing that I think, the biggest issue surrounding 2020 was actually something that people in the media, like conservative media, I think focused on, but not enough of the general public did. The New York Post, a couple of weeks before the election, published a a huge piece on Hunter Biden, and it really looked like there was concrete evidence from this laptop, and then we had a a named whistleblower, Tony Bobulinski, who was known as Hunter's business partner. That's probably the biggest story of the the election itself. It was 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 absolutely the biggest story. Like, this alleged international bribery 
involving the vice president of the United States, a presidential candidate. This isn't Donald Trump saying naughty things with Billy Bush <laughs> on a tour bus, exactly. right? This is like massive, holy cow, these are serious crimes. And oh, by the way, these allegations against Biden formed the basis of an impeachment of Donald Trump less than a year earlier. You'd think the Unreal. media would be all over this, right? Wow, you're right. We knew the laptop was genuine. We knew that the information, as the New York Post said, was also coming from, they were getting leaks from the ongoing IRS and federal investigations into Hunter Biden, right? Mm. Twitter not only suspended the New York Post's account, but it conspired with Facebook and every other social media platform. At the same time. At the same time to literally ban anyone who shared the story. In fact, I posted a picture of Hunter uh, from the laptop. He was passed out with his crack pipe. And it was some <laughs> benign joke. It was like me five minutes after a show ends or something like that. It's like, passed out with his pipe. <laughs> instantly. And I mean instantly. Which means it wasn't someone reported me and... and it was and the algorithm. Instantly, my account was suspended. The only way I could get my account back was to take down the picture of Hunter Biden. I mean, that's... that's Pure staggering. colluding. That, that's not just collusion, that is, yeah, well, it's collusion with uh, the, the media and social media conspiring to silence a story to help a Democratic presidential candidate and more specifically to keep the American public in the dark about concrete evidence of corruption involving the preferred candidate. I mean, that is crazy to think. You have literally big tech colluding with the DNC I mean, that I mean, for, and that's where it's like the First Amendment is. Do we even does it even exist anymore? Because I mean, the way that we get information out now is through social media platforms, uh, which I pray to God that we get a new one soon. Um, but two of my really close friends, uh, Siaka and Samita Armstrong, she's a, she's actually an actress. She was on the the show. Um, oh, anyways, I can't remember the judicial uh, judicial. I can never say it. Judicial Watch just dropped this uh, this article last week. That the second, because they were hitting hard on a lot of the election fraud, or the pre-election before, you know, leading up to it, and uh, the, all these emails just came out that the Secretary of State of California was sending posts yeah. to Facebook, Instagram, saying, "Hey, this post, take it down. This post, take it down," and they didn't even notify them. That they, that they even deleted, they just disappeared. And she didn't yeah. even realize that they had deleted the post until last week when, when she checked. And so it just shows that we have proof after proof after proof of collusion from so many different ways. Um, we, um, I would love to, because you, you wrote an article. I mean, I think th this helps the audience become aware of what happened. And I'm so glad you brought up Tony Bobolisky and the hard drive in, because we can't forget about that. Like no. the, that that has to stay on the forefront of our minds because if we don't fix this, then it's one of the biggest things that scares me in 2022 and 2024 because big tech has let, you know, lightened up a little bit on, on conservative voices. They're kind of letting them say their thing. But 2022 and 2024, they're gonna, I guarantee they're going to start amping it up again. So really quick, because um, we've been on for about 40 minutes and I don't want to hold you too much longer. You wrote an article seven things that you can do to win back Wisconsin. But when I was reading this article, this is like seven things that we can do to win back yeah. our, our local, our local cities. Because I mean, again, one thing that I, I've been telling a lot of people on my Instagram live show is that over the, you know, the nineties, the early two thousands, over, you know, over the last 
two or three decades, conservatives, they didn't feel the, I mean, let's be real. The, the meetings are boring. I just signed up to become a precinct committee man. They're boring meetings. Yeah. Like, we, don't boring. Wa- we don't want to go to these meetings. We like, we want to focus on family. We want to be plugged in our churches. We want to focus on our businesses, the things that we care and love about. The last thing we want to do about do is go to some boring meeting and go after some rhinos. But now that what's happening now is people are like, okay, we're losing the first amendment. They're threatening the Second Amendment. They're packing the courts. We're lo- our economy's tanking. We have to get involved because, unfortunately, the left has been planning this for decades. Where we're, see- we're seeing critical race theory hit our schools. I mean, you just see it. We-, we see it nationwide. And you wrote this article that is like, here are seven ways yep. that you can get involved. That doesn't mean you have to get full. You don't have to run for office. You don't got to be full time politics. You don't have to have a. Uh, in a daily radio show like Dan O'Donnell, like all you got to do, these are the seven things. What are these seven things and what inspired you to write this article? Well, the seven things basically amount to get involved. The seven things basically amount to one, uh, get involved with your local Republican party, join the Republican party. If the Republican party isn't active enough and nobody's getting back to you, you take over that role. You take over outreach start going to Republican events. We have, I don't know if you guys have in Florida, we have, it's called Pints and Politics, right? This no. is a big thing with our Republican. Well, it's because we're Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's basically once a month, it's once a month, Republican groups will get together at a local bar and literally just hang out, social events. Someone like me, uh, congressmen are like known to go to these things all the time. Like Love it. you will see Congressman Glenn Grothman sipping on a scotch, giving his presentation and then talking with people after. I mean, it's like it, where else can you go? And Senator Ron Johnson is going to be sitting next to you at the bar, right? That's a, that so, is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's really, uh, it's great here. Like being in a midsize state, is being fa- it's fantastic, you know. Hey, Anthony Sabatini, out. you need to get on it. You need to get on it, Anthony Sabatini. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, so, like, that's a great place to start. To, if you think your local Republican organization is a bunch of rhinos, take it over, move it to the right, move it in a more populist direction, and focus not on the big stuff like, oh my God, was the election stolen? Oh my right. God. Uh, Israel and Palestine. Oh my God. You know, all of this stuff. I I, I don't want to like sound condescending, but you in Orlando, me in Milwaukee, we have no power to change that. Right. Like us ourselves, we have a hell of a lot of power to change. I live in a, a suburb called New Berlin, Wisconsin. If I get active in New Berlin politics to, to, and what we're seeing now in Wisconsin is uh, a whole bunch of parents are banding together and they're putting pressure on school boards to rescind mask mandates in schools, not just for kids who have been vaccinated, but for right. everybody saying, look, we don't need masks anymore. School board, do start doing that. You Correct. can change the lives of every school kid in your community by just getting active, by just going to one of these protests, by by talking to, and, I, and one of the other things I said was get to know your local school board members. Get yeah. to know your village board members. Don't be a jerk to them. Don't be like, you're a dirty rhino. But if you <laughs> say, hey, I'm just wondering, why did you vote to allocate $2 million to a new city hall? We have a perfectly fine city hall. And let them know that, hey, 
we don't approve of that. Go to the board meetings. Uh, oftentimes there is what's known as privilege of the floor, where people in the community can go and speak. Speak out, speak your mind. You get two minutes to say whatever it is you want to yep. speak out on these issues. From there, you can run for something. You can support people who are, if, if you don't feel like you can run for something, you can certainly take some time to knock on doors to right. get out the vote for someone who's running for school board or village board or mayor or whatever it is. All politics is local. It was a famous saying from Tip O'Neill. It's never been more true now because now the school board isn't deciding, oh, whether we're going to discontinue chicken nuggets from the school menu. It's right. are our kids going to be in school or not? These are yep. serious issues that I think people are realizing that they can have an outsized impact on if they just start to focus on them because liberals have been doing this for years. Liberals yep. have been going into more and more conservative communities and pushing school boards and village boards left. Now it's time for Republicans and conservatives to understand that we've got power in numbers in a lot of these yes. suburban communities. Let's move our government representation farther back to the right where it belongs. I completely agree. And the perfect example that you have Ron DeSantis, probably the most I mean, he is the most freedom conservative, the best governor in the country. But then you got a city like Miami that's still on mask. You know, they have the mask mandates. Their kids aren't in school. So, I mean, th this is why it is so important for every single person to start getting involved. I would rec highly recommend that you um, – where can, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, at Dan O'Donnell Show. And at that's Dan no, no apostrophe, D-A-N-O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-S-H-O-W. Best place to find me. I'm updating constantly. I'm posting videos, uh, audio sound bites, columns, everything. Uh, Facebook.com slash Dan O'Donnell Show. I'm on Parlor. Par the Parlor app's been acting up a little bit. It, for it me. has. I, I tried like, it this morning. Okay. Yeah. It's been real weird. Uh, yep. So, and my wife is telling me I got to get on Telegram and Gab and all these other ones. I'm like, yep. I, I'm about to turn 40 years old, man. <laughs> I like old dogs, new tricks. I don't know. I know. No, seriously, we're gonna we're gonna link. I'm gonna link the articles because you. I mean, the, oh, the seven the seven ways to you know really get involved to pressure local representatives. And one thing that I've been pushing really hard, and we'll wrap it up after this, is that I mean, at the very least, find out who your representatives are. Find out the mayor, the city council, the lieutenant. Find out the school board. Follow them on social media. Yep. We, even if you can't go to the meetings, at the very least. Follow them on social media. Send them a direct a DM because their team watches those messages and say, "Hey, just really, we're just letting you know we're really excited about being a part yep. of the civic process, but we want to let you know we're going to keep you accountable." Start One making. Thing. Go ahead. One thing. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, please. Real important though. Real important. Uh, my entire career, I've been dealing with politicians. If you are a jerk or you start swearing or like really venting at them, it's real easy for them to just totally ignore you. What they can't ignore is if you're well-versed on the issues and you say, hey, you know, I'm really concerned about this because of this, this, and this, they will listen to you and you can yes. actually become a valuable resource for them and steering them farther to the right. But you can't go in hot. No going in guns blazing. No. That, no, I love that. We made a we made a three page um, or not a one page document with like three steps on how you can basically start pressuring your government officials. And, and and the second step is contacting them, whether you call their office or you show up to a meeting. And the first thing we say is be polite, be yep. polite, and but let them know, hey, 
We're going to start keeping you accountable. We want to know why you voted for this. We want to know why you voted for this. The CD just let the guidelines off. Why are you still requiring our children to wear masks in school? You're making no sense. Let them start feeling that pressure because for too many years, our local government officials have not had accountability. That day is over. And so that's what I, what I encourage you guys to do for everyone that's listening. You can go to speaktruthwithoutfear.com. If you put in your email, we, you, we will send you that document for free. It'll teach you three simple steps how you can get involved. And then as well, the links that are in this podcast I'm going to link all of Dan's links of the ones that we talked about follow him on Twitter Dan seriously I appreciate you for taking the time and making this happen it it was an honor it was a pleasure no the pleasure is all mine Jordan best of luck with this podcast and your organization Uh, I'm here anytime you want me back I love it thank you so much